Welcome to RUF. My name is Lewis Levitt. I'm the campus minister. So glad you guys are here. I, I know it's that middle point, get into that middle point of the semester, and it's still cold and you're getting tired and you haven't gotten over your sickness yet and midterms are coming up. I know there's a lot of places you could be and things you could be doing. So thanks for being here uh, with this community tonight. I'm really glad, really glad to have you. We're talking this semester about joy. About that feeling, that experience of fullness and satisfaction and delight and exhilaration and contentment that that we're made for, that we spend our whole lives searching for. And so we're looking at Philippians and we're asking this question, how do we experience joy? Like, how do we get that? And we're seeing each week different aspects of this reality that true and lasting joy is found in Jesus and nowhere else. That in and through our life and walk with Jesus, we can experience joy. True and lasting joy. And so tonight we're going to see that we experience joy as we participate in the divine drama of Jesus. We experience joy as we participate in the divine drama of Jesus. So if you would uh, open your Bible if you have it, or look at your handout on the back if you have it, or a device if you need to. We're looking at Philippians 2, 1 through 11. It would be great if you had the passage in front of you so you can read along with me. Looking at one of the, one of the most famous passages in the Bible tonight. From Philippians 2, 1 through 11. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. He gives it to us because he loves us. You pray with me, and then we'll get started. Father in heaven, thank you for the gift of this night. Thank you for a space to gather. Thank you for voices to sing. You're worthy of it. You're so good to us. Thank you for your care and protection and provision of us. I pray that you would meet with us right now, that we would encounter you, Jesus, in your word, that your Holy Spirit would be working through it so that we might love you more. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, when I was in college, uh, at Wofford College, go Terriers, I was, a, I was a member of the orientation staff. It's like the FYE staff here. So we would move in freshmen, and we would schlep them around to different orientation things, and we would lead into social activities. And um, When I was an upperclassman, I got to be on this orientation staff, and we didn't have like app adventure, small group trips. We did have this kind of large group class trip that was optional for freshmen to this camp in North Carolina called uh, Camp Greystone. If you've been to probably a fall conference in the past couple of years, that's, that's where we do that. And so you go to this camp for, for three days, and you play fun games, and there's a blob and a zip line, and you can go canoeing and rock climbing, and... Uh, we do shag lessons. There's no swing dancing in South Carolina. There's shagging. It's the same thing. It's the exact same thing. And, um, and then we go rafting one day. It's pretty fun. 
And I got to be kind of in charge of leading this thing. We called it the summit. And uh, what would happen is the freshmen who were going on it, which was a couple hundred students, would get there the night before, and then we'd have to be on the buses at 7 a.m. the next day. And so there's this problem where you got these new students. They just got there. they got to be up and get on the bus at 7. And so uh, the powers that be decided that the way to get them up would be to give me, Lewis Levitt, a megaphone and have me walk through every single freshman hall and personally wake up everyone there with a megaphone. To this day, it's probably the best job I've ever had. So, and this is not like, a, oh, I bought, it at, I bought it at Walmart, and it's like technically a megaphone, but you can't really use it. And this is like industrial, commercial grade, used in a stadium kind of thing. It had a siren feature. So I would be walking. I had you know, a team of people with me, and I would walk through, I walked through every single freshman hall and blaring this siren and then singing various upbeat songs while doors were pounded on by the other members of the staff. And we woke up every freshman like this and got them on the bus and, and take them to this trip. I, I loved it. I just felt like I was an important part of the process. Like, I felt like everybody knows it's me. Like, I'm the guy that everyone, they come out of their door, they have no idea what's going on, and it's Lewis. <laughs> Good morning, welcome to college, you know. I, I, felt, like it, I felt like it made me important that every, all these freshmen, like, knew who I was right away. Now, I, I don't know if you are like me and you have a temptation to like the spotlight, to like to be recognized publicly. Some of you, some of you hate it. But we love that feeling of just being important, don't we? Of being significant, of being a part of something, of being recognized, of, of being great. We, we want to be great. We want to be seen as great. It means a lot to us. That's why people in Philadelphia went totally insane on, on Sunday, right? Like, finally, they're number one. Finally, they're bringing home the trophy, right? This is why you instinctively connect your experiences to Instagram. Do you see that kid when Justin Timberlake, who, again, I, I believe is since recording, who I think killed it, for the record. That kid who got this selfie with him, and then he, like, didn't know what to do, and he was just staring at his phone. Like, he didn't know how to process a cool emotion outside of a story. And we, we don't want just to have great experiences, Right? We want to publish them in an Instagram story so that everybody can see that we had great experiences and things that were cool. Do you know what I'm talking about? That's why you're so overwhelmed with school and with interviews. It's not just that you want to do well in school. It's that you know that only one person can get that job. Only one person can be the top. And if you're not it, you feel inadequate. You're constantly comparing yourself to other people because you want to be great. And the problem is that our definition of greatness of being the top, of being the one that everyone recognizes as the best is tragically mistaken. And it actually never leads us to joy. It only leads us to bitterness. It only leads us to envy. It only leads us to anger and disappointment. And we're going to look at Philippians 2 tonight, and we're going to see a radically different picture of what it means to be great. A radically different approach to what it means to approach life in a way of trying to get joy. That's not actually about greatness. Verses 1 through 4, they they lay out the kind of life that we have the, the potential to experience. And Paul puts this rhetorical if statement there. He says, if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation or fellowship in the Spirit, any affection, any sympathy. It's like, uh, he's saying this rhetorically, it's like, if any of these things exist, and of course we know that they do, doesn't that sound good? Like, don't you want a life of encouragement? A life of fellowship? A life of affection? 
a life of love. I mean, he's describing a life of joy. He's describing a kind of community that we might that we might dream about. He's describing something that's great. And all is possible in Christ. And so we're asking the question, how do we accomplish this as a community? What would it look like for us in this room, for you and your circles of friends to have this kind of community of joy in Christ? And we're going to see that it's through participation in the divine drama of Jesus. And this divine drama has two acts, two chapters. Act one is humility. And act two is exaltation. Humility and exaltation. So first, what does it mean to participate in Christ's humility? But Paul starts, he just starts by telling us what to do. This is verses 3 and 4. He says, don't do things for selfish reasons. Instead, consider other people to be more significant than yourself. Don't just worry about your own interests, but worry about the interests of other people in humility. I think humility has become sort of a bad word in our culture. Like if, you're, if you hear someone described as coming from humble means, what does that mean? Like poor and disadvantaged. It's not a compliment, right? When you think of humility, you know the word humiliation comes from humble, right? From humility. Can you think of the last time you were humiliated? Was that a good experience for you? In, in the fourth grade, my small elementary school put on a sort of a Disney music medley show. And I was given, again, oh, there's a lot of stories about me being the center of attention. I was given a solo, the Pinocchio song, I've Got No Strings. I've got no strings to hold me down, to make me fret, to make me frown. I had strings, but now I'm free. There are no strings on me. And uh, so I'm up there, and I'm, and I'm singing the song, and I kind of come up from the front, and I'm doing my little Pinocchio dance. That I'll show you later if you'd like. And uh, I get through the first verse, and then the second verse comes along. And I mean, I have practiced this thing in my house again and again and again, but my brain goes blank. And so for the whole second verse, I just, like, stand there, still arms out, staring at people, and they're staring back at me. And I sort of mumble through the final chorus, and I get back with the group, and I finish the thing. And, and as soon as this thing ended, I, I ran to my mom's car, and I climbed inside the front passenger seat, and then I climbed down on the floor in the wheel well. You know what I'm talking about? Like, where your feet rest? And I just started to cry. Like, everyone had seen me fail. I had this chance for greatness, and I, I totally blew it. And I was embarrassed, and I was scared, and I was angry, and I was feeling sorry for myself. I, was, I, felt, I felt humiliated, right? Humiliation is not, what we, is not what we want to feel, right? But what we have uh, in the Bible is a, is a different version of humility. That's actually not what it means in the Bible when it talks about humility. It's not talking about shame and embarrassment and self-pity. It's talking about this active posture of relating to other people where you consider them to be more significant than yourself. Tim Keller calls it self-forgetfulness. Where you have things in your life that you, that, that you care about, but you seem to forget them because you just care more about what's going on in somebody else's life. That's what the Bible means when it talks about humility. Not thinking of yourself but considering other people more important than you. This is a really, really hard thing to cultivate. And then from there, Paul says, have this mind amongst yourselves, meaning have this way of thinking, this way of living. And then he launches into this incredible song, this incredible poem of Jesus. One of the most beautiful things that's ever been written. 
He says that Jesus, who, though he had the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being found in the likeness of man. Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus humbled himself. And if you take one thing away from this, I want you to take this, is that Jesus was God. Jesus is great, but he does not use his greatness to his own advantage. He does not exploit his greatness. That's, that's what he means when he says he did not count equality with thought God a thing to be grasped. He did not take advantage of his greatness to promote himself. In fact, he did just the opposite, right? He took advantage of his greatness in order to do the ultimate act of love to save you and me. Jesus, who was God, considered his people, those who would believe in him, to be more important than himself. And he's God. I mean, this is an incredible thing. Jesus has the ultimate greatness. I mean, he's God. Colossians 1 tells us that it's actually through Jesus that God made the heavens and the earth, everything that was made. He has the power. That he's perfect in purity, that he's without fault. He's without blame. He's without sin. He's without weakness. He's perfectly competent and awesome and perfect in every way. And he uses it not for his own good, but for our good. Because he loves us. It's because he loves us. There's no greater love than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And I want to just stop for a second and remind you that if you are a Christian, if you trust and follow Jesus, then that is true for you tonight. That Jesus loves you and he's given his life for you. It means whatever mistakes you've made and regrets you have, whatever darkness you're walking in, whatever confusion, whatever burdens are on your heart tonight, Jesus still loves you. In his humility, he's given his life for you. And notice that this is not something that just happened to Jesus, like he happened to be in the wrong place and then he picked up his cross and it just went down. He humbled himself. He chose to do this. It was an active choice to put us before himself because he loves us. Looking at Jesus on the cross, it's the most profound definition of what it means to be God. It's the definition of God, which is self-giving love for the good of others. That is who God is for you. It's humility. So, so I want to ask the question, how do we grow in our participation in Christ's humility? What would it look like for us to shape our lives in this kind of way, where we consider other people more important than ourselves, where we try to, to shape our actions and our relationships around self-giving love for the good of others? And I, I have four considerations for you, for you okay? I almost said four considerations to consider. That would have been redundant. Four considerations, okay? The first is this. Uh, my challenge is this, to consider the positions of, of leadership and influence that you have on campus or that you aspire to have on campus. Why do you have those and what are you using them for? Are you using them to pad your resume? Are you using them to make yourself great or are you using them, are you wielding that greatness, that influence, that leadership for the good of the people around you? 
Why do you have those positions of influence and leadership, and what are you using them for? My, my second consideration is this, uh, and I'm speaking to, the, speaking to the gents now, the men, particularly uh, men who are in a fraternity. I know that's not all of you. Uh, I want to challenge you to consider what it might be like to live uh, a life of humility in this weird, unique season where you have pledges. Where to go along with the flow means to use them for your comfort and convenience. What would humility look like? What would it look like to take advantage of the position you have over them for their good? Something to consider. My, my third consideration is this, is to think about your goals and ambitions. I saw the, I saw the EY table up, up in the comments today. Everybody was anxious in the whole building because of it, you know. I want you to think about your goals and ambitions, what, what you want to do with your life, where you're going. And I want to ask you, why do you want to go there? And can you imagine a life where your position and your job and your money are used for the good of other people? Where you wield those things, you steward that influence, those resources, that greatness for the good of others? Or do you just want to be great and successful so that you will look great and successful? And my, la- my last consideration is this, is to cons- consider your relationships. This is something we're going to continue to come back to as a continuation of what we talked about last semester, what we've already talked about this semester. Are you, are you settling for the kind of friendships that uh, stay on the surface? And you talk about football or boys or gossip or schoolwork and going out, and that's kind of it. Are you settling for dating relationships where... You basically watch Netflix and hook up and go out and go to co-op and study, and that's kind of it. Or are you considering the relationships that you have as places where you can practice self-giving love for the good of somebody else? Do you want the kind of friendships, the kind of dating relationships that are actually promoting the good of someone else and not just making you feel good? Those are my four considerations. The first chapter of this divine drama of Jesus' life is a life of humility. That Jesus is God, but he does not use his greatness to promote himself. He uses it for our advantage. He uses it for our goodness. And he calls us to live out a life shaped like this in our own communities. To have this way of thinking. The, the second and final chapter of the divine drama is exaltation. And this is really important because we're talking about joy here. And I've just got done talking about how it's not about you. It's about other people. So how do we know that this kind of humility of putting other people before yourself will lead to joy? What assurance can we have that that is how it works? Well, the assurance that we can have is that that's what happened to Jesus. That that the Jesus, the God-man who went low, who put himself low, is exalted and lifted high and given all fame and honor and glory and majesty forever. That's how we know. I want, I want to reread verses 9 through 11 here. Because I think this is just so beautiful. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. It starts with a therefore. Jesus is exalted, therefore. He's exalted not for no reason, not just because it's his time and his turn, not just because of who he is. He's exalted especially and particularly and specifically because he has humbled himself. His exaltation is his reward from the Father. 
there is a pattern in life to exaltation, and it goes through humility. This is the second thing I want you to try to take away tonight. The road to exaltation and glory does not go through greatness. It goes through humility. It goes through humility. And so what we see here, it's, it's both a beautiful picture of the status of Jesus, that he is the one who is high and lifted up. He is the one who has all honor. He is the one who has all glory. Those things are true of Jesus. But, you know, Jesus is, is not just a metaphor and a symbol for goodness and truth. He's the embodiment into history of goodness and truth. And Jesus here is not just a metaphor and a symbol for exaltation and glory. He is the embodiment into history of exaltation and glory. And this is describing a day that will happen in the real world. It's describing a day that will actually happen, that the end of the divine drama, the final scene, which is going to go on forever and ever, is that the Lord Jesus is going to come again to the earth from heaven. And it won't be like the first time. The first time Jesus comes to earth, it's the perfect picture of humility and lowliness, right? I mean, this God through whom the whole earth is made is born as a frail and weak and vulnerable and needy baby. He's born in a filthy stable. No one notices except a couple of shepherds. That's not what it's going to be like when he comes again. This time he's coming in all his glory. This time he's coming in all his majesty. The, the, Bible, the Bible teaches us that there's going to be this sound of a trumpet. That like piercing through the sky over the entire earth will be this blast of a trumpet. And then the Lord will descend from heaven in glory back to the earth. I, I often imagine what that day will be like. I imagine what I'll be thinking. I imagine what I'll be feeling, what I'll be doing, what I'll be saying, what I'll be singing, what I'll be shouting. Will I run to him and hug him? Will I fall on my face? I, I don't know. But I know that at the name of Jesus, when his name is proclaimed, every knee will bow. It's not an optional thing. You'll be so compelled, so consumed by his goodness and majesty and awesomeness and love and mercy that you will fall on your face. Everyone will. Because he's coming in glory. And and when he comes, he's coming to make everything good. He's coming to make everything new. He's coming to wipe every tear away. As the Jesus Storybook Bible says that we read to our kids, He's coming to make everything sad come untrue. Because he loves us. And he cares about this. And wickedness will not last. Darkness will not last. Pain will not last. Sorrow will not win. Jesus will. And his glory will. And here's the good news. Is that as we walk with Jesus in his humility, so also will we walk with Jesus in his exaltation. Now, I don't mean that at my name and at your name, like, people will start bowing and singing praise. That's not what I mean. I mean that the goodness of Jesus is that the celebration of his goodness and glory is something that he shares with us. That he invites us to the party. That what we say when, when we say heaven, what that really is, is the celebration of the goodness and love and lordship of Jesus, who is heralded as a good and perfect and loving king. And what heaven is, is, a part, is, is, is an invitation to his people to participate in the feast, in the celebration forever. And it will be good. In every way you can imagine. 
to the way that if you were to get a, a, a pure taste of that right now, I think your brain would explode. Your senses would not be able to handle it. The exaltation, the glory of Jesus is something that is in store for you if you are a believer in him. That is a day that is coming, not just into history, but for you. When we walk with him in humility, we actually get to walk with him in exaltation. And we get a taste of it now. We get to participate in this now. We get to live in light of this hope even now. That as we claw and scrape and fight for kindness and generosity and forgiveness and humility, as we fight for that, as we experience that in our relationships and our communities, what we're getting is a foretaste of heaven. That's what that is. It's a foretaste of the goodness of life with Jesus and his kingdom when everything painful has been taken away. So I want to offer you two things here in light of application for this. What what does this have to do with us now? Uh, My first thing is this, is to fight for community. To fight for it. To fight for the kind of community that is shaped like the gospel that is not just about each of us as individuals, but where we say, I'm going to consider the values and the interests and the significance of other people to be more than myself. I'm going to try to live a life of love. I'm going to try to forgive others because I've been forgiven. I'm going to try to be kind to others because God's been kind to me. I'm going to try to be generous with others because God's been generous to me. But you have got to fight for it. You have got to fight for it. It's really hard. It will not just happen if you go with the grain of the world and the culture. You have got to fight for it. And I hope that you do. Because as you experience little bits of this, you're participating in heaven. Now. My second application is this. is to be patient. Because even as we get taste of this and glimpses of this and moments of this, The world is not as it should be. And of course our relationships are marred by jealousy, by conflict, by anger, by greed. We see that with our closest friends and family. We see that with people in this room. And of course we see that in the world around us. And the reminder to us tonight is like we've already said, that the darkness will not win. The pain and the envy and the strife will not win. It won't. Jesus does. It's already happened. We just have to wait. Faith in Christ is waiting. We're waiting for this exaltation to come, walking in humility until it does. I was hanging out with this friend, Jonathan. Jonathan was a year behind me at Wofford. He was a junior when I was a senior. We were hanging out at a graduation party with some other friends. Jonathan became one of my best friends. He's the best man at my wedding. And we were joking about me walking through the freshman dorms with this megaphone, and he was remembering it, and I thought it was hilarious. And he stops laughing, and he looks him in the eye, and he says, yeah, I didn't like you very much when I first met you. Me? Really? Could that be? He's like, yeah, I thought you were pretty annoying. Just up front, it's all about you. Didn't seem to care about anybody else. Like the irony of the way we think about greatness is that when we experience a little bit of it, a little bit of recognition, a little bit of acclaim, a little bit of success, it actually tends to separate us from the people around us. And as we separate from the people around us, we move away from a community of joy and humility. It it takes away our ability to experience joy. 
But we have a God. We have a Lord in Jesus who loves us, who lived the perfect life of humility, giving himself up for our good in his death on the cross. And as we walk with him in humility, we will get to walk with him in his glory forever. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we praise you for for your humility. We praise you that even though you are God, that you have the power and the purity and the perfection and the goodness, even though you were high and lifted up, you came down, you got low, you were born into a dirty stable, you lived a life of service for others, you gave your whole life for us. Lord, I pray that you would help us to shape our lives in humility, that you would give us the trust in you and in the glory that awaits us to help us to put other people before ourselves. I pray that you'd give us these glimpses of heaven, these glimpses of goodness and joy, peace, forgiveness, gentleness, friendship, affection, and love. Give us those glimpses now to remind us of what is to come, which is perfection in you forever. Thank you for the hope that we have, Jesus. We praise you. Amen.